He's such a relief to know that Maudie is safe with you, Mr. Wooster. I know what the temptations of a great city are. Hitherto dear Maudie has been sheltered from them. He has lived quietly with me in the country. I know that you will look after him carefully, Mr. Wooster. He will give very little trouble. She talked about the poor blighter as if he wasn't there. Not that Maudie seemed to mind. He had stopped chewing his walking-stick and was sitting there with his mouth open. He is a vegetarian and a teetotaler, and is devoted to reading. Give him a nice book, and he will be quite contented. She got up. Thank you so much, Mr. Wooster. I don't know what I should have done without your help. Come, Motty. We have just time to see a few of the sights before my train goes. But I shall have to rely on you for most of my information about New York, darling. Be sure to keep your eyes open and take notes of your impressions. It will be such a help. Good-bye, Mr. Wooster. I will send Motty back early in the afternoon. They went out, and I howled for Jeeves. "'Jeeves! What about it?' "'Sir? What's to be done? You heard it all, didn't you? You were in the dining-room most of the time. That pill is coming to stay here.' "'Pill, sir? The excrescence.' "'I beg your pardon, sir?' I looked at Jeeves sharply. This sort of thing wasn't like him. It was as if he was deliberately trying to give me the pip. Then I understood. The man was really upset about that tie. He was trying to get his own back. "'Lord Pershore will be staying from here tonight, Jeeves,' I said coldly. "'Very good, sir. Breakfast is ready, sir.' I could have sobbed into the bacon and eggs. That there wasn't any sympathy to be got out of Jeeves was what put the lid on it. For a moment I almost weakened and told him to destroy the hat and tie if he didn't like them, but I pulled myself together again. I was dashed if I was going to let Jeeves treat me like a bally one-man chain-gang. But, what with brooding on Jeeves and brooding on Maudie, I was in a pretty reduced sort of state. The more I examined the situation, the more blighted it became. There was nothing I could do. If I slung Maudie out, he would report to his mother, and she would pass it on to Aunt Agatha, and I didn't like to think what would happen then. Sooner or later, I should be wanting to go back to England, and I didn't want to get there and find Aunt Agatha waiting on the quay for me with a stuffed eel-skin. There was absolutely nothing for it but to put the fellow up and make the best of it. About midday Monty's luggage arrived, and soon afterwards a large parcel of what I took to be nice books. I brightened up a little when I saw it. It was one of those massive parcels, and looked as if it had enough in it to keep the chappie busy for a year. I felt a trifle more cheerful, and I got my country gentleman hat and stuck it on my head, and gave the pink tie a twist, and reeled out to take a bite of lunch with one or two of the lads at a neighboring hostelry, and what with excellent browsing and sluicing and cheery conversation and what not, the afternoon passed quite happily. By dinner-time I had almost forgotten blighted Maudie's existence. I dined at the club and looked in at a show afterwards, and it wasn't till fairly late that I got back to the flat. There were no signs of Maudie, and I took it that he had gone to bed. It seemed rummy to me, though, 
that the parcel of nice books was still there with the string and paper on it. It looked as if Maudie, after seeing Mother off at the station, had decided to call it a day. Jeeves came in with the nightly whiskey and soda. I could tell by the chappie's manner that he was still upset. "'Lord Pershore gone to bed, Jeeves?' I asked, with reserved hauteur and what not. "'No, sir. His lordship has not yet returned.' "'Not returned? What do you mean?' His lordship came in shortly after six-thirty, and, having dressed, went out again. At this moment there was a noise outside the front door, a sort of scrabbling noise, as if somebody were trying to paw his way through the woodwork. Then a sort of thud. "'Better go and see what that is, Jeeves.' "'Very good, sir.' He went out and came back in again. "'If you would not mind stepping this way, sir, I think we might be able to carry him in.' "'Carry him in?' "'His lordship is lying on the mat, sir.' I went to the front door. The man was right. There was Maudie, huddled up outside on the floor. He was moaning a bit. "'He's had some sort of dashed fit,' I said. I took another look. "'Jeeves, someone's been feeding him meat.' "'Sir? He's a vegetarian, you know. He must have been digging into a steak or something. Call up a doctor.' "'I hardly think it will be necessary, sir. If you will take his lordship's legs while I—' "'Great Scott, Jeeves, you don't think he can't be—' "'I am inclined to think so, sir.' And by Jove, he was right. Once on the right track, you couldn't mistake it. Motty was under the surface. It was the deuce of a shock. You never can tell, Jeeves. Very seldom, sir. Remove the eye of authority, and where are you? Precisely, sir. Where is my wandering boy tonight, and all that sort of thing? What? It would seem so, sir. Well, we had better bring him in, eh? Yes, sir. So we lugged him in, and Jeeves put him to bed, and I lit a cigarette and sat down to think the thing over. I had a kind of foreboding. It seemed to me that I had let myself in for something pretty rocky. Next morning, after I had sucked down a thoughtful cup of tea, I went into Maudie's room to investigate. I expected to find the fellow a wreck, but there he was, sitting up in bed, quite chirpy, reading gingery stories. "'What ho?' I said. "'What ho?' said Maudie. "'What ho, what ho? "'What ho, what ho, what ho?' After that it seemed rather difficult to go on with the conversation. "'How are you feeling this morning?' I asked. "'Topping,' replied Maudie, blithely and with abandon. "'I say, you know that fellow of yours, Jeeves, you know, is a corker. I had a most frightful headache when I woke up, and he brought me a sort of rummy dark drink and it put me right again at once. Said it was his own invention. I must see more of that lad. He seems to me distinctly one of the ones. I couldn't believe that this was the same blighter who had sat and sucked his stick the day before. You ate something that disagreed with you last night, didn't you? I said, by way of giving him a chance to slide out of it if he wanted to. But he wouldn't have it at any price. No, he replied firmly. I didn't do anything of the kind. I drank too much, much too much, lots and lots too much. And what's more, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it every night. If ever you see me sober, old top, he said, and with a kind of holy exaltation, 
tap me on the shoulder and say, tut-tut, and I'll apologize and remedy the defect. But I say, you know, what about me? What about you? Well, I'm, so to speak, as it were, kind of responsible for you. What I mean to say is, if you go doing this sort of thing, I'm apt to get in the soup somewhat. I can't help your trouble, said Mottie firmly. Listen to me, old thing. This is the first time in my life that I've had a real chance to yield to the temptations of a great city. What's the use of a great city having temptations if fellows don't yield to them? Makes it so bally discouraging for a great city. Besides, mother told me to keep my eyes open and collect impressions. I sat on the edge of the bed. I felt dizzy. I know just how you feel, old dear, said Maudie consolingly, and if my principles would permit it, I would simmer down for your sake. But duty first. This is the first time I've been let out alone, and I mean to make the most of it. We're only young once. Why interfere with life's morning? Young man, rejoice in thy youth. Tra-la, wat-ho. Put like that, it did seem reasonable. All my bally life, dear boy, Mottie went on, I've been cooped up in the ancestral home in Much Middlefold in Shropshire. Until you've been cooped up in Much Middlefold, you don't know what cooping is. The only time we get any excitement is when one of the choir boys is caught sucking chocolate during the sermon. When that happens, we talk about it for days. I've got about a month of New York, and I mean to store up a few happy memories for the long winter evenings. This is my only chance to collect a past, and I'm going to do it. Now tell me, old sport, as man to man, how does one get in touch with that very decent chappy Jeeves? Does one ring the bell or shout a bit? I should like to discuss the subject of a good stiff B&S with him. I had had a sort of vague idea, don't you know, that if I stuck close to Mottie and went about the place with him, I might act as a bit of a damper on the gaiety. What I mean is, I thought that if, when he was being the life and soul of the party, he were to catch my reproving eye, he might ease up a trifle on the revelry. So the next night I took him along to supper with me. It was the last time. I'm a quiet, peaceful sort of chappie who has lived all his life in London, and I can't stand the pace these swift sportsmen from the rural districts set. What I mean to say is this. I'm all for rational enjoyment and so forth, but I think a chappie makes himself conspicuous when he throws soft-boiled eggs at the electric fan. And decent mirth and all that sort of thing are all right.